short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Welcome back to the Cold War episode uh, 45, as in 1945, where we still are after uh, 13 months of (laughs) podcasts. The irony of that does not escape me. Can I say the just the tail end of the music that you use, which is so awesome, I just picture you and I floating down on a cloud (laughs) with togas. And and glasses of wine. I don't know. It's just how my brain works. Shout, anyway, shout anyway, out to our amazing composer, Joffre Orta Antonio in Barcelona. Barcelona. Awesome. Um, He's awesome. He is also composing an original uh, piece of music for my Jesus film, which is very nice of him. Thank God. I mean, thank you, Hortense. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. So when we last left off with the uh, the episode, we mentioned I mentioned the uh, the Treaty of Portsmouth. They got Teddy Roosevelt a prize, a Nobel Peace Prize. That's always good for him. But this is how bad it was for Russia. And of course, everyone in Russia is going to remember the the humiliation. So um, Russia has to give up to Japan the southern part of the Sakhalin Island, and its army in the Man- in Manchuria has to leave. You know, it's, wait, 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 basically wait. it's northeastern China. Wait, wait, it has wait, to leave wait, there. wait, wait. Just remind people what? that you're talking about yeah. 1905 here. You haven't really. Oh right, it's right, been, right. It's, remember, it's, it's, it's been because it's, it's been a week. It's been at them. least a week. So this yeah. is the 1905, the end of the Russo-Japanese War. Japan has banked Russia um, twice uh, at sea, once on land. Um, Both sides lost a lot of troops. But again, this was an absolute humiliation for Russia, the largest uh, country in the world, going up against the foreigners, against the relatively new people who didn't even start industrializing until 1850-something when the United States came in and forced them to open up their country. So... Japan has come very far in a very short amount of time, and now they've taken on the world's giant, and they have beaten them in war. Now it's time to have peace. So you have this treaty. So and during this treaty, again, uh, Russia has to give Japan the southern part of the Sakhalin Islands. They have an army in Manchuria that, that that is forced to leave. This is in northeastern China. They have to. Russia has to give up the railroads that it has built there. Uh, Japan is allowed to at least the Liaodong Peninsula, which again, Russia had a naval base there, Port Arthur, and um, Korea, which had been uh, in the Russian sphere of influence for a very long time, is now considered in the Japanese sphere of influence. And the last, certainly not the least, Russia now 
has no warm water port in the Pacific. This is a complete disaster for Russia in the First Order, economically, militarily, and their national pride. So this is something that Stalin is going to remember, even though he's going to help uh, take advantage of kind of the downfall that happens in 1905 in Russia, kind of the chaos that's going on because of the military and political defeats. He is going to remember this, and now that he is in charge of the country, he wants back what is due to Russia and you really can't blame him for that. Mm, yeah. And for those people that are geographically challenged, you should <laughs> know that North Korea and Manchuria both border Russia. So it's mm. not like uh, it's a, a, an unusual thing for them to have had influence and some degree of control over these areas. They sort of right. part of the Russian zone of influence, definitely. And as we've talked about on earlier episodes, ports, very, 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 very fucking important things to have in order mm -hmm. to be able to trade with other countries and also to defend yourself militarily. But particularly for trade, you have to have ports where imports can come in and exports can go out. And in Russia's case, because they're, they're ice-locked uh, for a large part of the year, very and yeah. half the country is landlocked, the other half of it is ice-locked for a lot of the year, very difficult to get access to ports, particularly when... Japan is sitting, uh, you know, on the Pacific Ocean, the warm side of the little bit right. of your coastline that actually juts into the Pacific Ocean. You've got Japan who just kicked your ass sitting there. So, yeah, it's very difficult for them to be able to trade uh, unless they have control over some of these areas. And, and, of course, the great irony about uh, the fact that Stalin is now negotiating with FDR to get the SOSAC and the Kurals back is... That rhymed. Yeah, did it? Uh, yeah, SOSAC, Kural back, Mama got a new knapsack. Um, <laughs> this boy ain't whack. Yeah, uh, wickety, wickety, whack, uh, going back down the track to find the old tack that I left on the floor. <laughs> Rewind um, this and play it back. Freestyling, man. <laughs> uh, we, should, we should keep on. I'm, I'm, I'm heading to 8 Mile right now down. Can be fucking freestyling in Detroit. Anyway, um... The irony is that Stalin was it's one of the fuck one of the reasons back in 1905, obviously before the Bolsheviks took over, SARS is still running Russia. One of the reasons the Russians gave in in the Russo-Japo War was because they were dealing the Russians were dealing with a revolution back home, which was the 1905 revolution that Stalin was a big part of. <clears throat> So it was partly Stalin's fault that the Russians had to give in to the Japs and lose these territories in the first place. Yeah, it is. And now he's managed, 40 years later, he's managed to get them back. But I just thought it was interesting. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, after you. 
I'm sorry. I was just going to say during the revolution, things had gotten so bad. The czar is, um, he's getting pressure from a lot of people to try and modernize the country. So they have to come up with the state Duma, the multi-party system, the actually a constitution, the Russian constitution of 1906. So Stalin was robbing banks, you know, terrorism and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he, obviously him and the Bolsheviks. And because it's so weakened, it, they had to give in because they had to focus on that. And like you said, it took him 40 years, but now it's time to get back what um, Russia had lost. And as we said in a couple of episodes ago, Stalin has power that the czars could only dream of, which also means it's his responsibility. Yeah, that's right. So. Sorry to mean to throw you off your game. No. That was lame. No, that was... Oh, you rapping again? Wow. <laughs> It's hour three, people. Yeah. It's it's going to break It's the down. rap hour. It's the hour of rap. Uh, <laughs> now, there was one thing that... Now is the hour of our rap. Sorry. Flower, I'm which done. will flower into the power of my dower assistance <laughs> tower. No, I think I used that one already. Shit. Um, <laughs> don't be sour. Just cower, cower at my power. Um, One of the things that Stalin wanted FDR to agree to that he hasn't yet is a warm water port at the end of the South Manchurian Railroad, possibly a place called Diren. Now, Manchuria, for people who don't really know where Manchuria is, and, and I'm one of those, if you take China and you throw it up on the map, and then yeah. you take uh, sort of the northeastern part of China, that mm-hmm. was Manchuria. So it was, a, it was yeah. a Japanese word created by the Japanese. Um, if you go up and sort of look where Korea is, uh, and it's North and South Korea, and where Russia is, Manchuria was up there. So... It was yeah. sort of um, uh, an area that uh, the Japanese took during their wars with China, and uh, it's sort of been disputed for ye- for centuries, really, between sort of China and Russia and um, Japan. Japan, yeah, yeah. ugly, yeah. Uh, and but there's a there's a railroad that, as you said earlier, the Russians have built many, many years ago in the 19th century um, for to get shit to a port, and Stalin wants control of that. And mm-hmm. uh, Roosevelt's been going, eh, i got to talk to Chiang Kai-shek first. Yeah. I can't just give you that, buddy. Good old CKS, my buddy, the CK, <laughs> KS, Ch- Chang, Changi. No, that's a, yeah. that's a prison, and we don't want to talk about yeah. that one. Um, now... The Soviets have been planning to get control of all of these territories again since 1941. That was always part of what they wanted to get out of the war. But they had to keep it a secret because of their neutrality pact with Japan. Now, the only... Well, the, 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 it was only because of the pact with Japan that they had that they had been able to focus on the Nazis. If they had right. been fighting two fronts... Yeah, it's difficult, right? So they had to 
sign a peace treaty, a neutrality pact anyway with Japan so they could divert all of their troops out of Manchuria into fighting uh, with the Nazis on the Eastern Front. And it also, the neutrality pact, allowed them to get lend-lease supplies from the Yanks through their Pacific ports. So it had been useful, but all along, all along the watchtower, Stalin knew that he was going to try and get these territories back from Japan at some point. Can I, I got my hand raised. Um, would you say that trying to successfully conduct a threesome is the same anal- analogous to a two-front war? We all know the challenges of a two-front two front war, but if you're having a threesome, you're the guy and there's two ladies. Is it the same challenges? Do you have to be able to keep both um, well, satisfied or at bay at the same time. I'm glad you specified the two ladies bit because <laughs> I was immediately. Well, I, wanted, I just assumed you had an experience in this, so I wanted to ask. I was thinking of Vegas, uh, you, me, right. and <laughs> Ryan Markley. Well, that was you, me, and the statue of Augustus. That's a little different. <laughs> that was def- That was more like a sword fight. That was like when <laughs> Obi Wan and Anakin were fighting Count Dooku. Uh, it was just lightsabers everywhere. Was yours purple? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> that, that was that was Steve Bustamante when he came in later on. Um, Steve, yeah, sorry, yeah, and not because yeah, he's I, Mace I just, Windu. Yeah, it's just because he'd been drinking a lot the night before. Um, yeah, look, well, you know, the, the, much like the pact between the Nazis and the Soviets which we've well established was very cynical in in um, intention. Yeah. They, they both knew they were going to end up at war with each other. It was a neutrality pact, A, so the Nazis could focus on the Europeans and the British in particular, and so the Russians could find some generals because Stalin had just killed them all yeah. and bu- yep. build Sorry. up their military. My bad. Yeah. Um, the same case with Russia, uh, or the USSR, I should say, and Japan. The Japs are obviously fighting the Pacific War. They're fighting, yeah. uh, you know, they're trying to get control of China. They're fighting the, the Americans. They don't want to have to be fighting the Russians as well. At the same time, the Russians don't want to be fighting the Nazis and the Japanese. They both knew yeah. they were going to end up at war together at some point. The Japs just wanted to finish yeah. off the Americans first and the Russians wanted to finish off the Nazis and then they were going to turn on each other eventually. But during that period, Stalin needed to keep his ambitions somewhat secret, although I'm sure the Japanese kind of knew that's what they would want to get anyway. Yeah. Now, if we, if I could just back up for a second here, just to give this some context, because I personally find this fascinating and again stalin is someone who's just thinking 12 moves ahead so as soon as the soviet russia survives the battle of moscow december of 1941 it's ugly they're getting close the uh, the germans are within view they can see the tops of the domes of, of some of the uh the spires in, in in moscow but they survive it and like you said they're able to transfer divisions from the far east to moscow to help 
to help with that fight. But anyway, so as soon as they know they're as soon as they know that there's a good chance they're going to survive the Nazi onslaught, they start making plans in December of 41 for one day getting warm water ports in uh, in the in the Far East. So again, that's that's just amazing to me that they're planning all this out. Uh, <laughs> so, Solomon Lovzovsky's uh, who's Molotov's deputy writes Stalin a note, and he says, we've got to be thinking about the Far East. Uh, we can be cut off by the Japanese at any time. Yes, we have a peace treaty with them, uh, and I'll tell you why they have that in a second. We, ha- we have this non-aggression pact with them, but um, we have to get back to the Kuril Islands. We have to get the southern Sakhalin. We need to be in a position where we can, like you said, run our goods and products all the way to the Far East on a railroad and load it on a ship and not have to worry about the United States, not have to worry about Japan, not have to worry about China, not have to worry about anybody. This has to be gotten. This has to be secured. And so, again, they're already planning on it, but they can't tell anybody. But here's what's really, for me, this is what's really interesting. So even though this was not officially ordered by Tokyo, there is a battle, there's a series of battles between Japanese forces and Russian forces. Uh, one side knows it as, as, as the Battle of Golan Ko, another side knows it as the Battle of Nomahom, but it's in, it starts in May of 1939, where the Japanese attack Russian troops near the uh, Mongolian border. And this goes on into June, it goes on to July, it goes on to August, and the battle goes back and forth, but basically Zhukov comes to the area well well supplied he kicks the crap out of the japanese for months and months on end but the japanese don't give up because they can never lose so they keep attacking so by the time it's all done the japanese have been humiliated zukov has got a ton of experience he's got a ton of uh experienced troops now he's got a, he's got a staff of officers who've got battle experience and all of these guys are going to be able to go to moscow in december of 1941 and help with the germans but the japanese lost so badly not only do they sign this what five year five year agreement with russia not to attack them um they decide to turn south instead go after british and american uh, uh possessions because they just know that they can't mess with the uh with soviet russia anymore and when like you said when lend lease kicks in and america sending stuff through the far east again the japanese they're so fearful of upsetting Stalin again and, and Zhukov and the Russian army. They let the supplies go through no problem. So again, so Stalin is getting his Lendley supplies. He wants warm water ports in, in the Pacific, but he knows that that can wait. And he's pretty sure that Jap- the Japanese forces aren't going to mess with him because of what happened to them during those five or six months, six months uh, worth of uh, battles that Zhukov pretty much handed to them, just humiliating defeats one after another. They lost like 20, 25,000 men in, in a supposed skirmish, a series of skirmishes. So again, Stalin for right now does not have to worry about Japan. He doesn't give a fuck about Japan. He'll eventually want some warm water ports, but he is focused on Nazi Germany, and he doesn't care really what FDR has to say. He wants to focus on setting up Europe, and only then will he worry about the Far East. But America's already there. We're already thinking about it. We already want to attack. We've got plans to attack Japan. We need Soviet help or we're going to suffer 
a lot, a massive amount of casualties. And, and like you said, when we first started this episode, America only suffered, what, 450,000 casualties in World War II, which is nothing compared to what so many other countries have, have suffered. And we were estimating losing another 300, 350,000 men just to take Japan. That could not be allowed to happen. We have to have as much help as we can possibly get it, and we need it as soon as we can get it. Yeah, and of course, that has always been the justification for the nuclear attacks on Japan was to prevent the loss of American lives. However, as we will see, as we get, if, you know, if we ever get out of Yalta, um, <laughs> the that uh, report that was put together that uh, calculated those sorts of potential losses for the U.S. Uh, it was put together in July of 1944 by the U.S. military mm. planners. Um, by August of 1945, the situation in Japan had changed dramatically. Yeah. Uh, and it was quite possible that, A, the if the U.S. did invade, the losses would have been nowhere near that high. Second, they wouldn't have even had to invade uh, in the first place because the, US, the Japan was on its last legs uh, and, and, mm -hmm. and most of their leadership knew that. And also, as soon as the Russians declared they were entering the war with Japan, collapsing their neutrality pact, that would have been just the, the death knell signal and, and the Japanese knew it. But anyway, we'll get to that later on down the track. This was their thinking at the time, you're right. right. One of the reasons why they wanted the Russians on board to help take the load and to also tie up the million-strong Japanese army in Manchuria so the Americans could yeah. invade the uh, Japanese islands. Oh, and just one more thing, and I, and I won't go very far, I promise. Um, Stalin has a chance to improve his diplomatic relations with Japan after the Battle of Stalingrad. Again, J Japan, the military leaders are impressed. They come to Moscow. They want to improve relations. And Stalin's like, uh, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Our, our relations aren't good. They're not bad. They're just kind of there. They're neutral. I don't want them to improve, so I'm going to rebuff you because he knows that at some point when Europe is under control, he's going back to the Far East, and it's pay, payback time. Yeah. I think also he didn't feel the need to fake it with them too much. He, yeah. he At that <laughs> exactly. point, you know, he, he was on top. He knew where he was. Um, and they they probably would have been trying to ask for more in terms of a new round of yeah. negotiations. So, yeah, Stalin, I think Stalin liked to be on top. Would you like to weigh in on that? I think he's a topper. I'm not going there. Three, it's a three, it's three hour mark, man. Like we got to be careful. We can slide off the edge here oh. and it just giggles very quickly. <laughs> I need coffee. <clears throat> um, anyway, oh. yeah, the U.S. the the U.S. briefing book for Yalta had a recommendation from the Joint Chiefs of Staff that, and this is the quote: "The objective of Russia's military effort against Japan in the Far East should be the defeat of the Japanese forces in Manchuria. Air operations against Japan proper." in collaboration with U.S. Air Forces based in eastern Siberia, and maximum interference with Japanese sea traffic between Japan and the mainland of Asia. Mm. So the, the U.S. military absolutely had uh, requested Russian 
assistance in Japan. Now, I find this sorry, I find this fascinating uh, in whenever I get into debates uh, online with particularly Americans uh, right. who who think they know a little bit about uh, the Cold War and the end of World War Two is they don't know that the U.S. Uh, requested Russian involvement. Um, yeah. I've I've uh, had this sort of argument over and over again, where um, the the view of some Americans seems to be that the Russians were trying to force their way into Japan. Mm-hmm. Yep. They they are clueless that the Americans had been begging them for years to get involved in Japan. They were stressing their own aged president out, harassing him day and night. Have you talked to Stalin? Have you talked to Stalin? Give him this, give him that. I mean, just memos were flying back and forth. And poor FDR, he's probably losing it. He's probably remembering his younger days when he was banging mistresses or whatever and traveling Europe on a bicycle. He's smoking a cigar. And he's been the greatest president since, I don't know, Lincoln. He's had four terms. He's going to go, obviously, go down in the history books. And now he's getting just this absolute stress from his military commanders. He obviously wants to save American lives, but at the same time, he doesn't want to give anything up to Russia that he doesn't have to. He's certainly not going to give up anything of China, because for China, he wants them to be an ally. He wants to rebuild them. He wants it to be powerful to help him keep Russia in check. He's got all these pressures, all these different divergent um, people uh, with different views coming at him. I mean, the guy, even though he's trying not to show it and he can't really tell anybody, he has got to be under incredible pressure. Speaking of which, I just read yesterday, if you saw this, that Alex Jones, you know what's going on with Alex Jones at the moment? Uh, yes, I saw that. Uh, absolutely hilarious. <laughs> absolutely, we are performance artists. Yeah, we, you know, whatever. For people that didn't follow it, Alex Jones is being sued by his ex-wife, and she's trying to get uh, custody of their kids. Custody. And yeah. she's basically saying in her divorce proceedings that he's a crazy man. He's totally crazy. He's batshit yes. crazy. Just watch his show, Your Honor. He's batshit crazy. And right. Alex Jones's lawyer's response to that in the court was. Look, what he does is just a performance act. He's a performance artist. It's, a, it's, it's all a, a job. It's an act. He doesn't really believe anything that he's saying. I love it. The chemtrails. The chemtrails are killing. <laughs> They're killing us all. Why won't anybody listen? And then he'll cuss and go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's his defense. Anyway. Oh, money. It's just an act. I'm only kidding. Only an idiot would yeah. believe me. Uh, under pressure, yes. Uh, Roosevelt, under pressure from his own people. Let, State Department usually has one thing they want. His military wants another thing. They're all in his ear, and his girlfriend just died before he got to Malta, as we might recall. Aww. He's old, he's sick, he's on the verge of death himself. <sighs> anyway. So, the Churchill won't shut the fuck up at the plenary. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um. So, yes, the, the, the U.S. military planners had a specific mo- a role in mind for the Russians. Um, and uh, But even at this point, uh, there were several American commanders who didn't believe they would need to invade Japan. Uh, Admiral Ernest King and General H.H. H. Arnold, commander of the Army Air Force, so the head of the Navy and the head of the Air Force versus General Marshall, the head of the, uh, well, what was his actual title? He was like Chief of, Star- uh, Chief of Staff. Yeah. yeah. 
But they yeah. they um, they believe that the war against Japan could be won by means of a blockade alone. So right. this whole, oh, we had to bomb them because we were going to have to invade and we were going to lose hundreds of thousands of people, that was just one guy's plan. There were other guys that were like, dude, we don't even have to do that. Just keep them blockade. They're a fucking tiny island. There's yeah, not, they're not, yeah, they're going to run out of shit. They've already run out of shit. They're not going anywhere. Just pull a Julius Caesar, man. Circumvallate that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, read your history, motherfucker. Circumvallate. Go listen to Rain Cam. That's right. Um, Instead of shovels, we'll just do it with battleships. Yeah. So anyway, Jeez. getting back to it. So, yeah. Um, well, just before Yalta, FDR had hosted a dinner. Uh, with his closest advisors, including his three top military guys. Um, Marshall entertained everyone by telling stories about fighting the Japs, Mm-mm. as he referred to them. Kathleen Harriman was there. She wrote about it later on. She said that uh, Marshall told a story about the American Cavalry Division that had entered Manila in the Philippines right. two days earlier. Their job was to clean up Jap snipers in the hills. Uh, what's that accent? I'm going for Marshall here. I don't, their job was to clean up Jap snipers in the hills. <laughs> the soldiers were organized into groups of ten. They'd go out in the hills, and like hunting season, there was a limit strictly enforced of three Japs per GI. Later, that limit was changed to one Jap. One outfit, to make the hunting more sporty, stripped its weapons down to those used by the Japs themselves. But it soon had to be stopped. It was going too far. Damn. So they were basically sport hunting the Japanese, yeah. according to General Marshall. You're, you're, only allowed to have, you're only allowed to kill three, and then you got to let someone else get in there and have some fun. And uh, it had to be stopped because they were starting to emulate the Japs, and you can't have good white Americans emulating the right. barbarian awesome. Japanese. That's yeah. that's not proper. But despite his racist commentary, uh, the Americans were actually finding the invasion of the Philippines quite difficult. It was quite painful. It was quite slow. That yeah. The battle for Manila, which had begun on February 3rd, just before the Yalta Conference, lasted an entire month uh, the U.S. military lost a thousand dead and five thousand wounded. Jeez. So at that rate, if they were going to take the entire Philippines, uh, yeah. they were certainly going to need Soviet help. Yeah. If I could just mention something real quick, going going back to the general question of fighting Japan, um, I thought it was interesting that Stalin's top men didn't even know about the possibility of Russia helping out the United States against Japan. And our old mate uh, from the first couple of episodes of Yalta, Ivan Mansky, he didn't even know. Because in January 44, he wrote a, a memo to Stalin saying, we, we should get back the Kuril Islands, we should get back southern Sakhalin, but we don't need to fight Japan. Let America handle that. Or if we do get in, let's get in way fucking late. Why? Because let's pay back those um, American and British bastards for uh, taking so long to start their own, start the second front. So he's like, we can get those back. We don't even have to fight. But what he doesn't know is that Stalin has already been thinking about this since December 41. And he's got his own plans. And so when the United States comes to him saying, help us, he's got a very long list of items that he would like checked off before he says yes. Mm. So he's a, he's just a brutal, 
He's a brutal dictator, but he's also a brutal negotiator, and he knows what he wants, and he's going after it. And he's got two out of the three. He's got the Sosaks. He's got the Curiles. <laughs> now he wants the Manchurian Railroad. So on February 8th, he's ready to get down to business. He walked into Roosevelt's study at 3.30 in the afternoon before the plenary session was due to start. Uh, steady, old Steady, uh, <laughs> Riley, old Riley Stettinius was... Love that name. Yeah, Riley Steady. Sounds like a Roman commander. Yes. <laughs> he was uh, having a chat, but... He knew that Frank considered the Far East a military matter, not a State Department mm. matter, and as Steady was the Secchi of the Steady. Steady, f- f- steady, steady from the Steady, they used to call him. St- steady, Steady. <laughs> hey, Steady, Steady, the Secchi of the Steady. Um, he, I'm so much fun to work with. Uh, he, <laughs> um, he left. He was like, oh, well, I know I'm not wanted here, so he left. Yeah. So um, yeah. Stalin's there with Molotov and Harriman uh, and two interpreters. Yeah. So Frank eventually it- brings up something that he wants. What does he want from Stalin, Ray? Yeah, so he, he starts to have cash. I mean, you got to do that when you got a dictator staring at you and he's got that big mustache. So he says, uh, What's you up? know, it'd be really great if um, if you would let us set up, uh, if it's okay with you, if the United States sets up air bases near Budapest, that way we can bomb Eastern Europe, uh, you know, be able to help you with the Germans, because I know your troops are coming that way, and I'd really appreciate if you could do that. that. If you could think about that, that would really be great. But now that we're talking, we're here, we're talking, uh, now that Manila has been retaken, um, we need to set up uh, air bases near Japan so we can bomb them. So if we can bomb them well enough, maybe we don't need to invade you, so, invade Japan. So maybe it would be possible for us to set up air bases in the Far East. Is there anything you could help us with that? And Stalin knew this was coming. Actually... Roosevelt started off far more casually and relaxed when he walked in. I actually managed to track down a recording. Hello. Yo, what's up? Numby, just watching the game, having a bud. What's up with you? Nothing. Watching the game, having a bud. True. True. What's up? What's Yo, who's that? Yo! Yo, pick up the phone! Hello? Who's that? What's up? Yo, where's Dookie? Yo, Dookie! Yo! What's that? What's that? Hold on. Hello? So what's up, B? Watching the game, having a bud. True. True. <laughs> oh, you know what? When I come to Australia, I'm going to just send the wife on all the tours I've arranged. You and I are just going to sit around and listen to music from the last 40 years and smoke cigars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to do that for 15 days. We're just going to freaking sit there. Mm. 
and just listen to music. <clears throat> if you're in Australia and you haven't cottoned onto this yet, uh, Ray is coming to Australia uh, late June, early July. We're going to be doing hitting Sydney, mm-hmm. Melbourne, Brisbane. Uh, doing some meet and greets. Tickets will be on sale soon. Go to the Life of Caesar Facebook page for more details on that. Um, it's going to be... Watch me wrestle an alligator, a crocodile. Yeah. It will be involuntary, involuntarily yeah. on my part, yeah. obviously, but I think Cam's going to push me in. Push but it should yeah. be a good show for about 15 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Crocodile will be like, that's it. That's all you got. I'm still hungry, <laughs> man. Didn't even touch the sides. Um <laughs> Yeah, so getting back to this meeting. So Stalin rose over there. Frank, as you said, is saying, listen, we, we want some bases. We want access to the Russian Air Force bases close to Japan. Stalin said, okay, but I can do that. That's easy. Not the problem. Easy, easy. So uh, Frank also suggested that they give orders to their respective military to start jointly planning a fire escape campaign. Stalin says, that's very easy. I can do that. That's very, yes, not a problem, my friend. Yes, yes. Uh, copacetic, as I think you say in America. Copacetic. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I've decided I'm going to start using that word more lately. Uh, don't know what it is. Is it Yiddish? Good for What's you. What's copacetic? Is it Yiddish? Is it Italian? I don't all, know. Well, in America, it's like, it's all good. It's all, it all fits in. It's I know what it means, but I mean, what what oh, does it actually mean? Where does it come from? What's Fuck, the no etymology? All right, I'm looking it up. See, so you're fucking oh, useless. Uh, dictionary says, oh, uh, Louisiana. Yeah, of, of obscure origin. Some people think Louisiana French, Italian, Hebrew, uh, but it lacks supporting evidence. So there you go. No one knows. Yeah. No one knows. Just go with it, baby. Copacetic. Somebody just invented it. Okay. Fucking nice work. Good work. Copacetic. I just I've invented a I few invented, words. You never will forget it. I've invented words. Have I ever told you about the words I've invented? No? Uh <laughs> Uh, I, I up on Urban Dictionary, I invented some words. My favourite one is impossible. <laughs> okay. Descriptions of statements in religious books which are impossible. E.g., e. Jesus rising from the dead is impossible in the Bible. Okay. Impossible. It. It's a combination of impossible and Bible. Impossible Bible. Poor, poor timing on your part, but I, I'm with you. <laughs> No, it's not. I'm making a movie about Jesus, man. It's excellent timing that I remembered that because I wrote that. Are like you going to release it next Easter? Uh, probably. Yeah. Well, the plan <laughs> is to be finished by Christmas, so either Christmas or Easter. We're definitely going to, uh, yeah, get it out there. Just good timing. You know. Can you get Mel Gibson as one of the producers? I think it would really help it take off. <laughs> one of my, my latest Easter gag that I came up with this week uh, was, you know, Easter is based on Passover. Um, replaced sort of Passover for the new Jews. The curse of the Christians are, they're the new Jews. And the reason it was called Passover is because um, every year at that point of time, God would go down the list of people to whom he was going to keep his promises. And when he got to the Jews, he went, no, I'll pass over that one. Who's next on the list? <laughs> Not good for me. Doesn't feel right. I don't know. I, am I going to restore them to power? In the, am I going to restore the land of Judea to their control? Nah, I don't think so. Nah, no, nah, 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 not this year. Give next. It, give it a miss. <laughs> yeah, he passed over it every year. Anyway, that's what was called Passover. Um, <laughs> so, Stalin's agreeing, yes, I can do this, but my friend... <laughs> 
My friend, Mr. Roosevelt, <laughs> President Roosevelt, what have you done for me lately? Uh, right. What about the port in Manch- Manchuria? I need this port. This is, this is very important to Soviet people that I have port in Manchuria so we can buy vodka. Well, we know export uh, vodka yeah. and buy uh, MacBook computers. Very, very important. And again, Frank said, look, I ha- you know, A, I have to talk to Changi. Oh, mate, the Chang. Right. The Chang, man. I've got to talk to the Chang. And listen. Uh, the Chang is really, it's really delicate talking to the Chang about this because, you know, if I talk to the Chang, right? I mean, he might get upset about it for a start. Respect the Chang. You can, you can, don't rub the Chang the wrong way. Yeah, you don't want to rub the Chang the wrong way. But also, here's the thing with the Chang. Here's the thing with the Chinese, man. You know this. Right. They can't hold their water. You tell the Chinese something, they're going to leak Boom. it within 24 hours. Then the Japs will know that you're entering the right. war. So that's problem number one, is you can't fucking trust the Chinese. Secondly, this is literally, this is not me saying, this is what Roosevelt yeah. said. Paraphrasing, this is basically what he said. Right. Secondly, he said, uh, if I lease, if I get the Chinese to lease you a port, then Churchill will want to keep leasing Hong Kong from China. He's going to use that oh. as an excuse. And I don't want... And I don't want him to. I don't want that fucking fat toad. To keep Hong Kong. I want... To keep that moneymaker. Yeah, yeah, I want access to Hong Kong. And I'm trying to get Churchill to give it up. Um, so, yeah. He goes, so so there's, can't trust the Chinese. Secondly, it's going to give Churchill an out. Um, he said, what if instead of getting the Chinese to lease it to you, we just declare it a free international port? Yeah. Everyone can yeah. use it. It's all good. You can use it. I can use it. Churchill can We can all gang use bang. it. Gangbang. Yeah. <laughs> call it gangbang port. That's what we'll call it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Stalin's like, uh, yeah. well, I'm very sorry, Mr. President. Uh, and this is the actual quote. If these conditions are not met, it would be very difficult for me and Mr. Molotov to explain to Soviet people why Russia was entering war with Japan. They understand clearly war against Germany, which has threatened the very existence of Soviet Union, but they would not understand why Russia would enter war against country with which they had no great trouble recently. Okay, maybe 40, 50 years ago we had a war, but, you know, who remembers? All those people people are dead now. Uh, Yes, I killed them. Yes, that's beside the point. The point is they're dead. Don't change the subject. If these political conditions were met, the people would understand the national interest involved, and it would be much easier to explain the decision to the Supreme Soviet. Again, Stalin playing the line. Look, really, all these rumors about me being dictator, not true. No, no, no. no, no. no. The will of the people. I serve the will of the people in the Supreme <laughs> <Shit>. Soviet. <laughs> yeah. Now, during all of this, FDR's interpreter can tell that the president is physically and emotionally uncomfortable with this very discussion. He doesn't want to do this. He needs the uh, USSR to fight, but he doesn't want to create a Russian sphere of influence. That's what this entire freaking war is about, trying to get rid of this kind of stuff. He doesn't want to create that in northeastern China. However, the reality of the situation is the reality of the situation. So technically, I can't do this. You can see that, Stalin. I can't do that. I haven't talked to Chiang Kai-shek. I haven't talked to anybody 
However, times being what they are, how about a secret deal? A super secret, we kiss on it, don't tell anybody deal. Although I th- and Stalin sees his opening. I think it was Stalin, actually, that suggested secret deal. Really? And FDR. Yeah, no, that's the way I read it uh, in the books. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's... I think it's officially... It's, Stalin says, what about yeah. we make secret deal? And Frank was like, I... Is he giving, is he giving FDR an out? I mean, FDR can't say something like that. I mean, he's American, he's white, he can't do that. But it's okay for the Soviet Russian communist bastard pig to say, how about a betrayal of all your friends and we make a secret deal? I think he's giving FDR a handy while he's offering it, but I don't know about <laughs> giving him an out. Well, yeah, that's... Anyway, please continue. Um... <laughs> No, look, I, I don't think there's any problem with secret deals. I mean, there have been secret deals all along the way here. Uh, you know, this, this yeah. secret deals are par for the course here. Um, but anyway, Stalin suggested they sign a secret deal. Roosevelt agrees. So the secret mm. deal is they're going to give him control of the railway. Uh, the port is going to be free and international, but they're going to give... Um, him access to the railway, control over the South Manchurian um, railway. That's important. Yeah. In return, uh, Stalin's going to give uh, the Americans access to some uh, Soviet air bases around the China area from which they can attack Japan, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone's happy. Now, of course, uh, you know, there was that old thing that they talked about, the Atlantic Charter, where everyone was going to get to decide their own futures, but uh, details, really. Uh, Fuck that. Yeah, Yeah. details. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Stalin tried to soften the blow. He said, look, I have good relationship with Kuomintang. Uh, you know, they come to, they, we will be coming to Moscow in April. Uh, we will make them very welcome. Uh, it's all going to be great. Uh, the port can be open international. Me and Chiang Kai-shek, Changi, uh, he's a swell motherfucker, man. We're going to get down with it. So My favorite part is is when Stalin goes, let's not tell the Jap- the Chinese just yet until I can move 25 Soviet divisions to the Far East. Then we'll tell them. We'll How tell does that them. sound? Yeah, is that good for you? That's good. Yeah, I, I think this is a smart thing to do, Mr. President. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but Frank wasn't happy with that. He says, hey, well, if you're in the mood for making secret deals, fella, I got another secret deal for you. What if we, what if we turn Korea into a trusteeship, hey? 20, 30 years, hey? The Americans, the Chinese, and the Soviets will run Korea together, hey? Um, <laughs> Didn't you forget to say Britain? Well, let's not tell the British, hey? <laughs> okay. He said, first of all, he suggests a 20 to 30 year trusteeship to run Korea, um, which is kind of where Manchuria uh, was. It's sort of the mainland there over from Japan. Um, Joe said, uh, the shorter the time, the better. But yes, I like I like your proposition. But the shorter the time is probably best because he, he knew he wanted to get control of that area when he had built. built. Frank- he goes, by the way, uh, how many U.S. troops are you thinking about putting in Korea, Mr. President? Yes. Uh, he said none. Yes. He said none. And Stalin was very, very happy. Yes, I like this. I like this plan very much. No American troops. Uh, <laughs> this pleases me. Frank also said, uh, well, let's not invite British, eh? Churchill's pre- going to be pretty upset when he finds out, yeah? 
And Joe says, well, he jo- Joe actually joked and said, well, he'll probably have us killed. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to hear Stalin say that. He will kill us yeah, if we do probably, this. Oh, and so FDR oh. kind of compromised. Look, if he bitches a lot, we'll let them in. But if they only bitch a little bit, Fuck him. we won't let them in. So, so here we have, okay, forget the Atlantic Charter, self-determination of all nations. We have Fuck that. Frank and Stalin... Fuck stitching up a deal to control Korea, keeping the British, their erstwhile partners, out of the loop on it. Um, and then they, wow. they talked about French Indochina, uh, which, again, for the geographically challenged, is sort of Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos today. Now, also under British objections, Frank wanted to put it under a trusteeship, an international trusteeship. Now, a trusteeship, by the way, is just a... Fancy word for mandate. It means, yeah, right. we, we get to run things. You do what we tell you. We're not going to put our flag up, but basically you get... And there will be an end date to it. Basically, what a trusteeship is, same as a mandate, is we're going to run it. We're going to extract all of the wealth as we possibly can out of it during that period. Absolutely. We are going to establish uh, 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 rulers of that country, be they erstwhile democratic rulers or, or military dictatorships that have our interests in mind and realise the quid pro quo, you do what we want and we don't have you killed. Um, and we're going to establish commercial trading relationships with the, the countries. That's what we need. So that's that's kind of what a trusteeship looks like. But the, the point is Roosevelt wants to cooperate with the Soviets and the Chinese on these trusteeships, Aww. which... You know, this is moving from spheres of influence that are at odds with each other, a capitalist sphere of influence and a communist sphere of influence, to spheres of influence where they're going to work together as partners. And both FDR and Stalin are agreeing to this at this point. Nice. Now, isn't France going to be slightly surprised not mm-hmm. to get this back after the war? I mean, Churchill's already made it clear he's going to build them up as much as he can because he needs a st- strong France to help check the Soviet Union. Well, and we remember back in episode 10, I quoted uh, Roosevelt in late 1942, and he had a meeting with the French general, Henri Girard, and, he, and, mm-hmm. and Roosevelt said, it is... It's thoroughly understood, see, that French sovereignty, sovereignty hard to say that word with his accent, see, will be re-established as soon as possible throughout all the territory, metropolitan or colonial, over which flew the French flag in 1939, see? So that was, he's telling the French, don't worry, you're going to get all your territories back. They said, what about the, the Atlantic Charter? Ah, fuck the Atlantic Charter. That's for, that's for everybody else. That's not for the France, see? It, it seems he seems to be pointing the Atlantic Charter at Britain and no one else. Yeah, yeah, uh, Britain and Germany. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So I, I just thought it was funny when Stalin said, um, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah," because the French they're too weak to defend Indochina now. So we would actually be doing them a favor to make sure no one else takes it. Yeah, we're the good guys. Yeah, yeah, no, very good, very good guys. They are. Um, so, anywho, yes. So, FDR just nuked that deal with the French in secret again. Um, they also agreed that in China, the Kuomintang and the Communist Party needed to work together against the Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're going to use their influence with both yeah. of those to try and make that happen. 
And as the meeting is moving to a close, Stalin decided to raise one last issue. He said, uh, Mr. Stettinius has told Mr. Molotov that there was possibility the United States would have surplus shipping property after war, which might be sold to Soviet Union. Is this in the fact true, Mr. President? And the president said, sure, we will probably have some ships and, what, and we'll offer you a deal. <laughs> He's going to take it. Not only does he says yes, but he takes it to the next level. He outdoes Stalin in his own deal. Yeah, he says, look, I'm going to change American legislation to enable us to sell you as much as you want in terms of ships as soon as possible on credit with no interest. <laughs> and he couldn't let the moment slip by without giving a dig at the British. They never sold anything without commercial interest, eh? You just get the idea that there's a bromance, ah. an intense bromance going on between these two. and But they must have felt like they could have solved any problem on this day. Yeah, they're wheelers and dealers. Now, Stalin, for his part, praised Roosevelt, not just for the promise of the ships, which they need for trade, but yeah. uh, particularly now that they have a, they'll have a port, a couple of ports again, they're going to need a lot more ships to use on these ports. But he praised him for Lend-Lease in general, which Stalin called a remarkable invention without which victory would have been delayed. And he said, in former war, some allies subsidized others, but this had offended the allies receiving the subsidies and led to difficulties. Mm -hmm. Lend-Lease, however, produced no such resentment. And the president apparently not only was pleased to hear this, but was ready to take the entire credit for inventing Lend-Lease. <laughs> Do you have his quote? I'm sorry? Do you have Roosevelt's quote? No, go ahead. He, he said, uh, Four years ago, I was having a rest on a small yacht, and uh, my small yacht, it's a lovely yacht, you got to see this yacht, it's a tremendous yacht, you'd really love this yacht, people have told me it's the best yacht ever, and I thought, there's got to be a way to help the Allies, see, and at the same time, avoid the difficulties inherent in loans, and I uh, come up with the idea of Lend-Lease. Slightly paraphrased with a stupid, I don't know what that fucking accent is, bit Groucho Marx, it's a bit sort of... Yeah. Now, here's, here's the amazing part. This entire meeting, when they when everything culminated, they have their climax, no pun intended, they're <laughs> able to work out all, the, all these problems after weeks and months of negotiation. This meeting here only lasted about 30 minutes so it was an issue yes an issue yes an issue yes no problem i can do it they just knock all this out but they have to hurry up and get up and leave because they're late for a plenary session so they both finish talking pull up their pants go out the door and now they're going to go face churchill and they've made all of these deals behind his back and he has no idea what's coming his way and the lesson from all of that is if Roosevelt, at his age and, and, and seriously deteriorating health, mm -hmm. can last half an hour before it climaxes, what is your problem? And he had no legs. Stress. Like, seriously. <laughs> I don't think you appreciate the podcasting stress that I'm under, quite frankly, working with you. Yes, I, I know I understand fully. <laughs> So that's where we're going to leave this episode. Thank you, everybody. You can go and get in your two minutes of heaven now, Ray. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. 
military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. You just got it in. The track is only <laughs> running for one minute and 44 seconds. I, I know. I didn't pace myself. Anyway, 